Hi there. Before listening to today's episode, I have a quick announcement. Season 1 of Service and Practice is coming to an end, with just one more episode around the corner, episode 10. After this, there will be a short break, and Service and Practice will be back in 2021 with season 2. I'd like to thank all of you for being faithful listeners, and for all the love and the feedback and appreciation that I've gotten. And I'd like to remind all of you that I've created a Google form where people can anonymously share any feedback. So I'd look forward to hearing your ideas and thoughts about what you want to hear about in season two. So check it out. And now without further ado, episode nine. Hi there. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to Service and Practice, and I'm your host, Karen. Today's episode is on the liturgical life, why service must begin at the altar. And our guest is Father Nathaniel Girgis, who is the priest serving the congregation of St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And he also hosts a podcast called Meet and Write, which is a podcast about how to personally benefit from the liturgy in the Orthodox Church. Hi, Buna. How are you doing today? Good, Karen. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited to talk a little bit about the liturgy and also about your experience as a podcaster. Sure, let's do it. So before we get into the discussion, what inspired you to start Me and Write? What kind of inspired it is that for a lot of cradle Orthodox Christians like myself, you kind of grow up building the rhythm and routine of Sunday being church and Sunday being liturgical service. And you come into liturgy and you're looking at your watch. When is this over? This is boring. I heard this last week. And then you're like, what on earth is this? Like, what's going on? This seems so dry, robotic. Um, so if we kind of look through the, the, the richness of the, the, of the prayers of this ancient form of worship, then this is where we really find life. Uh, so that kind of inspired me to, to start doing this podcast, Meet and Write, for all of us to kind of benefit and dive deeper into the richness of our ancient faith, uh, centering around the Eucharistic table. That's awesome. I'm a big fan. I've been listening to it for a couple of years since, uh, since it started, so Thank you for providing that. And I'll also say Meet and Write has definitely been an inspiration to me in starting my own podcast, Service and Practice. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, let's jump right in. And I'd like to start our discussion today with a quote that I love and I've read and and reread several times. And this quote goes, the liturgy is central to our formation as Christians. Every important event in our lives is marked liturgically. In ages long before Sunday schools or seminaries, Christians lived in and through these liturgical cycles whose aim was to transform each and all into the conformity with the risen Lord through active participation in his body, the church. And this quote comes from an article called Offering Your Own of Your Own, Stewardship in the Liturgy by Paul Mayendorf. And I know this is a little long, the quote that I just said, but I've linked this article in the show notes so you can definitely check it out and reread the quote as well. And the last part of the quote talks about how the liturgy is important and was important for the longevity of the church when other services didn't really exist yet. So let's hop in a time machine and go back in time to the time of the apostles. Can you paint a picture of what that early church looked like? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And and, and that thought process of that question, Karen, is, is that should drive every question as far as us being Orthodox Christians is can we can we go back in time? So if we are trying to pursue a man, if we look at it just from a historical lens, if we're trying to pursue a man that lived 2000 years ago and changed the course of world history, 
what did Christianity look like in the first few decades or the first few centuries? So that type of thought process should drive everything if we're wanting to intentionally be Orthodox Christians. So kind of going to your question as far as uh, the centrality of the liturgy, and I love that quote by Paul Meindorf. So if we kind of dissect what what uh, what he's saying in that quote, is that if, if we kind of look back in history, if we look back in the first century, and just look at, 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 at Jesus's last 24, 48 hours, if we kind of dissect all that, the centrality of, of what Jesus wanted to leave his disciples was the establishment of a movement of the church. And Jesus could have done anything on his last night with his disciples, with his followers. Jesus could have done anything. He could have said, hey, let's get together and let's let's just pray together. He could have said, let's just get together and just read uh, something from the Torah. Jesus could have said, hey, let's just go for a walk. No, but Jesus said, okay, hey, let's celebrate this Jewish uh, holiday, Passover. But this is not like any other Jewish uh, Passover that, or a holiday that you've ever celebrated as Jewish men. I'm bringing this now to completion. I'm bringing this to, to the fullness of what it's intended to be. What we're celebrating now is a mystical reality. This is bread and wine. Yes, great. But this is pointing to something so much more that transcends your logic. This is my body and this is my blood. How? That's not for you to understand. But I am asking you, I'm inviting you to partake of this reality. This is where you find life. This is the gift that Jesus gave his disciples to empower them for them to continue to move forward as being apostles and messengers of the good news. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about the fact that, you know, he did this in the last few hours, like you were saying, before his crucifixion. And such a climactic point in, you know, the the three years of his ministry, the thought behind, you know, instituting the supper then and not at any other point, although throughout his ministry, speaking about the bread of life and, you know, other kind of allusions to that to that point. And it's interesting also that you say that it sets the stage for the apostles and their service going forward as after Christ's death and resurrection, that's when their service and their ministry really began. How did the services start in the early church and how were they rooted in or connected to the liturgy? So the disciples understood from that Thursday night that Jesus has invited them to, to, to the Eucharist and, has, and told them, this do, this which you are partaking of now, which is not just a, a dinner, this, this reality, this mystery, do every time you come together as, 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 as my children, as apostles, as followers of me, do this in remembrance of me, not remembrance and just a historical past event or just say that this is symbolic. No, but if I dissect the original um, the meaning or the etymology of the word remembrance, he's saying make this a divine reality every time you gather together. As you come together as a community, as a body, make this, this present reality, make it a divine reality wherever you go because what you are partaking of transcends any limitations of time or physics that you are aware of. So because of that, as the apostles get together, got together, and we have tons of evidence of this in the first few centuries from Justin the Martyr and other, and other church fathers, that the, the centerpiece of Christians wasn't singing is great, uh, going reading into scripture is great, but the centrality was partaking of the reality of Christ's body and blood. That was the centerpiece. Of course, other elements surrounded it, which is which is a communal worship, which is scripture reading. They kind of dissect looking into 
um, like liturgy word for us now might involve many readings from the New Testament. But for them, obviously, like they, maybe they had a couple of manuscripts of what was written then, but w- what they were reading was their Bible then, which was the Torah. It's really beautiful when you, you know, you think about it, what, what the book of Acts says, and, you know, some of the, again, writings of the early fathers, what they document. But the liturgy has also definitely evolved. As you said, you know, the readings were focused on, you know, the Old Testament, or what we now call the Old Testament as the majority of the New Testament hadn't even been written yet or hadn't been compiled yet. So yeah. how has the liturgy evolved and, you know, where, where does it really fit in with our modern lives in the 21st century? Yeah, great question. For many of us, let's face it, like sometimes it was like, okay, you know what? I can get together for social gatherings at church or I can do the whole Sunday school thing. I can do Bible studies. I can do all that. But liturgy, man, like it's long and it's repetitive or it's redundant. And we, we use all these things to kind of describe it. And let's face it, our attention span decreases every generation. Like it's crazy. There's a study that shows our attention span when it comes to even videos is is, is about seven seconds. So our, our attention to anything is so short. So hopefully you're still listening to this podcast episode because it's longer than seven seconds. So we have lost some of these virtues as far as being attentive and engaging in various things of life. So, you, you know, when it comes to, to to the liturgy, you know, if we understand where it came from, the importance of it and what it is, then this is what gives us more meaning to it. And I can apply that to any aspect of life. Let's say I don't understand football. Well, yeah, if I'm just watching. Yeah, I'm just looking at some guys hitting each other and just wearing like a, a dumb little hat, which is a helmet. Maybe I don't understand what's going on. But if I understand... The, 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 what's going on, then then I'm able to get more from it. So at a high level, the same thing with the liturgy. At a high level, yeah, it looks like it's very repetitive. It looks as kind of mundane. But if I kind of dive deep into the beauty and richness and the details of it, this is where I can find life. Yeah, for sure. I think we have to remind ourselves more and more now, you know, with, with our decreased attention spans, that this should be the center of our lives. And I really like that you said we need to understand the the history and the context behind it. I think also as as servants, you know, specifically as as servants as I want to focus on this podcast, right? Liturgy is so important not just to our personal lives but our service lives. And can you shed some light about, you know, why we need the liturgy much more than just going to Sunday school or showing up to to do your service and whatever service you're a part of? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And and let me just come give a, a shout out to all the servants. God bless you guys for 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 pushing yourselves. You're busy with with family, with work obligations, and you still give of yourself to the body of, of the church and you give back to the church. What is in, what's integral to your service is understanding the liturgy. Like this is the centerpiece of our ancient faith. Like with all respect to any form or tradition in Christianity, like it's easy to jump right into a Bible study, jump right into a Sunday school. It's easy to jump onto all that. No, no like w- with the utmost honor and respect, that's totally fine. But if, if, if we are trying to gain the fullness of Christianity, then we have to understand this was the establishment from that Thursday night that Jesus made ex- extremely clear to his servants. He didn't just grab like any random person and say, hey, come on up, come on up to St. Mark's house, come uh, meet me upstairs, we're about to have dinner. No, he pulled his apostles, he pulled his disciples together, and he says, come. As he, as Jesus wanted to empower them on, on their mission, he said, you must first abide in me, not just in a theoretical way, not just in a spiritual way, but in a real way. So this has to be a reality, a reality for us. 
I, I, there's a, 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 one of my mentors always used to tell us as, as, as servants that just as Jesus broke himself to give to many, as us servants, we have to be broken in order to give to many. How can we be broken and give to many unless we are made whole in the one who is, the, who is whole? Like if, we are, if we're wanting to, to be broken and to give to many, to our children, to whatever capacity and service, then we have to be made whole in his image. And that requires not just uh, quiet time or prayer time. All that's fabulous. But it comes to us gathering around the Eucharistic table. That has to be the centerpiece. If it was not the case, Jesus would made that a very peripheral point of what he did on his on, on the last 24 hours of his life. So, yeah, I mean, it, it has to be the centerpiece of who we are as, as being the icon of him. That's a beautiful um, metaphor or, or description that you gave or that your mentor servant gave about the brokenness and, and then becoming whole. Sometimes it's easy to forget that when we gather in liturgy, it's not just part of the routine, but it's, it's us becoming the body of Christ fully. And I think this is, you know, so much more like we feel it more now with, with COVID and, you know, of course, it, the effects are a little bit different in the different areas, but still we were apart from each other physically for some time. And I think it really, you know, took a toll, not just on our personal, you know, individual spiritual lives, but on, you know, the way that we see the, the body of Christ as a whole. Today, you know, in, in your congregation, in your church, what have you seen as, I guess, the effects of COVID on the body of Christ in the liturgy, in the church, in the services? I don't think this is specifically true for the service I serve in, but for all churches and all traditions, it is so hard to pray alone. It is so hard to pray alone. Like it's easy to check out our phone, pull distractions. Maybe after 14 seconds, we call it a day. Yeah, I, we pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, I prayed. But there is some power when the body comes together, there's some power because we are we are relational beings. We are we are created by our divine designer to be in, in community. So there is power in in community prayer. Isn't it? Isn't the plurality of the language that we use in the liturgy the centerpiece of our language? We believe in one God. It, it, there, there, there's there's a plural form. There's reconciliation. Like there's power in number. The, the, the pandemic, COVID-19, has pushed us to live a, a hyper-individualized lifestyle, which leads to death. But the, 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 the centrality of us gathering around the table of the Lord is what, is what unifies us, that we're all partaking of the same one reality that transcends time, that we're coming together as broken people in order to be made whole. And then servants, you take that to the next level. I'm made whole in order for me then to be broken for my family, for the children I serve, for whatever capacity that you give of yourself. So this has to be the centerpiece. Another, if, if it's not, for sure, you're going to be burnt out or you're going to lose what you're doing. You're going to lose clarity on the vision of why do you serve in the first place? Well, you said it reminds me of um, something that my spiritual father told me kind of early on when at least in New Jersey, things were pretty serious with the lockdown, that during this time, you're, you're going to fall into one of two groups. Either you're going to be a selfish person who only looks out for themselves, their own safety, their own needs, you know, hoarding whatever supplies, you know, when there, there was a shortage of different yeah. things, right? Or you're going to be the person that's looking out for others and putting others first and making sure that those who maybe are not as well off are okay. And to, to your point, when we become so individualized and focus only on our own needs. And even if you were thinking about it in the spiritual sense, like, oh, I'm going to pray, I'm going to do this, I'm going to have my own routine, all that's important, but that cannot exist solely without the, the liturgy, without the gathering and that feeling of unity. 
Absolutely. Even the language of how the lit- l- the liturgical services is constructed, it pushes us to pray for others. Let's face it. When we pray by ourselves, we're praying, Lord, help me on my next exam. Help me, you know, help my mom, help my dad, help my sister. We're praying for, uh, for basically us. The centerpiece of our language for individual prayer is us. But communal prayer, we're praying for, for, for things bigger than ourselves, we're praying for the church. We're praying for the leaders. We're praying for, for the, the fruits of the earth, which in, in, what I like to think about is we're praying for the economy. We're praying for, we're praying for various things that are bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And it's so intriguing to think about, you know, the, the verbiage or, or the way that the liturgy was written, right? You know, examples of we praise you, we bless you or have mercy upon us. And it's something that I didn't really think about so much that there's the the plurality and, you know, not as much of I or me or my, right? And I think that it definitely want to makes me go back to, you know, the next time that I pray a liturgy to pick up on that and to see how many times, you know, if any, are, are the singular pronouns used. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, why the liturgy is important to us as servants, but what are some of the dangers of not participating in liturgy? And note that I said participating as opposed to just attending or, or, you know, being there because there's an important distinction to make. I'm glad that you highlighted that point because sometimes it's easy, like, to fall into the trap of, you know what, let me check a box, let me do a church, maybe it's out of guilt or whatever, maybe uh, another unhealthy reason. And sometimes we approach it as if it's a museum or better yet, like it's it's a movie, right? We just look at the screen and we're just getting sidetracked of, you know, when is Deacon going to click to the next slide? And we're just watching like a movie, right? We're not actually participating like you're saying. So it is a dynamic engagement uh, that we must partake of. The, the, the outcome, if we are not being engaged in liturgical service, then I'm feeding more of an individualistic lifestyle or mentality or philosophy that then begins to, to shift into other aspects of my life. So what do I mean by that? If I understand that, that the liturgical service is what ties me to the body of Christ, not just in the context of my local parish, but even connects me to those who have come before me and, and, and connects me. And, and if, if I say that the Eucharistic table is the intersection of, of this world and the world to come, then that this is what connects me to everyone else. But if I kind of say, you know what, I need to sleep in, that's only my only day to sleep in, but I can, you know, I can log into Zoom for my Sunday school, or I can, you know, go, I'll go to church late, whatever, or I'll just come at the last five minutes, just take communion to check a box. If I'm doing that, then I'm, I'm naturally subconsciously shifting my mentality to, it's just about me. Let me just check a box. I'm, 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 I'm doing harm to the entire body. Because now I'm not thinking about the whole body. I'm only thinking of myself. But I've completely dismissed the importance or the priority of what Jesus did that Thursday night and what he gave us as a gift that grafts all of us together from, from the early Christians till now. What c- connects all of us together is not just a theory that we're all Christians or just a label, but it is the reality of, what, of, of his body and blood, this, of this holy mystery. The mystery of all mysteries. So if 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 that does if that's not the centerpiece, then subconsciously it's feeding an individualistic mentality, which is already a toxic pandemic within itself in our country, in our society. So I'm only feeding that more if I want to dismiss and put away the whole liturgy thing. Yeah, I think it's really insightful what you said about the individualistic society we live in and us being part of the body of Christ and members of the Orthodox Church, like that's going against the grain in Western society. You know, because it's against the grain, like we have to push ourselves sometimes, you know, to wake up early, to be not just physically present, um, but 
mentally present as well. And I think it's so important also because traditionally, you know, we'll have liturgy on Sunday, then go to Sunday school or, you know, have other subsequent services. And starting the day off with liturgy really sets the tone. And it reminds me of one of the episodes that was called Let's Go yeah. from your podcast, Meet and Write. And I think it talked a little bit about how, you know, when we get that that command, go in peace, it's not just, okay, like, you know, time to go home now, but the end becomes the beginning for sure, absolutely, yeah, and 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 through liturgical prayer, I'm building the virtue of of patience, of me being focused and connecting with God in stillness, in silence. Like, let's face it, it's super hard to do that alone. So if I'm not building those virtues in communal liturgical prayer, then it's almost impossible for me to gain those virtues outside of that context. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing the insight. Uh, that you have about the liturgy and its history and it's important to service. My pleasure. Thank you, Karen. Yep. So right before we end, I'm going to jump into the rapid fire questions, which I like to ask every guest uh, to conclude every episode. Sure. So the first one is tell us about a moving or funny story that's happened in your experience while serving, whether, you know, before or after you became a priest. I don't know if you would call this a moving story. Well, maybe. is uh, I remember in high school, at, at the high school convention, I think it was in Florida at the time, uh, one of the deacons as we're preparing for liturgy uh, filled the crew. You have two crew. It's one for the wine and one for the water. Somehow, I don't know how this this happened, but my friend put uh, oil inside the, the cruet instead of water. I guess they both looked clear. So uh, I guess the only thing moving was everyone's intestines after liturgy because it was very, it was very moving. It, it upset everyone's stomach uh, because they ended up, they didn't realize until after the liturgy that the oil was mixed with the wine for liturgy as opposed to water. So uh, everyone had a horrible stomach ache for the rest of the convention. But yeah, I, none of us will forget about that. <laughs> yeah, no, great, great story. Very, very unique. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question. Can you recommend a book about service to the listeners? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's kind of two that come to mind. There's a book called If You Love Me by Father Matthew the Poor, but uh, I, I know several other people have, have mentioned that. Another great book coming from uh, the Protestant tradition is a book called Deep and Wide from an author called Andy Stanley. So he's talking about how we need to establish ourselves not only in God, but in service being deep and wide. Like, how do we do both? Sometimes we only think, you know, I, I can go wide, but I can't go deep. But if how I can approach both uh, as far as giving myself um, to God. Yeah, that's an interesting title. I haven't read Deep and Wide. And I actually have a question about the book Deep and Wide, or rather the concept. So do you think that if you had to choose between one or the other, between, you know, your breadth of service or your depth, which is more important? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, Obviously, we're getting into personalities and gifts and things that uh, kind of packed into that question. But at a high level, a quick answer would be, it's, it's better for me to go deep with the gift that I have been entrusted with. Something I like to remind myself of as, as a priest is, there's certain things I'm good at, but there's 10,000 other things that other members of my church are better than me at that, that can do it 100 times better. So I want to focus on what I can do, what I've been entrusted with, and empower those around me for them to do what they are called to do. Like that's leadership 101 that we need to apply in every aspect of life, including the ministry. Next question. What is your favorite quote or verse about service? Yeah, I, this is a verse, my, my favorite verse, not necessarily in the Bible per se, but in one of the earliest Christian manuscripts that we have of the apostles. 
para scriptural uh, documents outside of the, the liturgy always fascinated me, fascinate me because they give us more of an insight of what Christian lifestyle was like after, um, you know, outside of, of, out of what we know from scripture. There's a book called the Didache, which is a very puny little book, but written by the early apostles. Many historians will say happened within the first 100, 150 years of Christianity. And their opening line of this document, written by the apostles themselves or their disciples, early Christians, their, their biggest thing that they wrote down in this document that includes things about how we should fast and about the rites of baptism. They talk about all the different other sacraments. They kind of give us uh, Christianity 101 in this manuscript. Their opening verse is this. There are two ways, one to life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. I love how like they open with such a profound statement saying that they realize that there's two different ways to life. There's one that leads to death when I want to do things my own way, that that leads to death. But they also wrote down how they experienced life by experiencing the one who is the source of life. And they write down that there is a huge difference between the two. That should resonate with all of us, especially servants, for us to keep in mind that there is a huge difference between when I do things my own way, which leads to darkness, and there's one that's so liberating, and that leads to life. And that's when I tap into the reality and love of who Jesus is to me. That is a very powerful quote. And, you know, just kind of crazy to, to start a, a text off like that. Yeah. Last question. If you can give one bit of advice to the listeners, what is that? I don't know if this is just like the seat. This hit my mind because of uh, the season of COVID-19. I'm not sure, but be intentional with your time. Be intentional with your time. Every single one of us is busy. Every single one of us is busy. Like I haven't met anyone that says, yeah, I have a lot of free time. No, we, we like we, we get busy with something, but be intentional about where you put your time, where you invest your time will naturally produce fruit one way or another. And some aspects of your life either immediately or down the line. So be intentional about the gift of time that you have with you right now, where you spend your time, how much you spend on your screen, how much you scroll, how many click, like all that stuff that, that, that kind of pulls us away from the more, more important things of life. Be intentional about where and how you invest your time. Yeah, for sure. I think it really ties back to the point you made earlier in the episode about, you know, not being so individualistic because, your time, you know, you can say it's my time, I'm using it for me for what I want to do, right? Or, you know, you can use that time to devote to service or, you know, to, to some activity that's a little bit more outside of yourself. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, this was really great to talk with you, Abuna. Thank you so much for being on this podcast and for sharing your insight. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And where can people find more of you? Uh, if they would like to, to see the, the podcast, um, of meet and write podcasts, uh, going deeper into, uh, the liturgical, uh, aspects, they can go to Coptic God bless your service and, and the podcast me and write. I hope it continues to grow. I've linked the Coptic hymns in English site in the show notes. So you can check that out and thank you to all the listeners for being here for yet another episode. Hope you all continue to stay safe and uh, see you soon.